The young man nervously stood up on the platform that morning for the congregation to sing a solo. He'd been asked to provide special music that day in worship. And unfortunately, he didn't hit one note on key. By the end of the song, it was obvious to him and to the whole congregation that, well, he just couldn't sing. So after the service was over, everybody felt this awkwardness around him. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to do. And so people just kind of avoided him. And finally, one of the kinder, older, wiser gentlemen put his arm around his shoulder and said, Son, it's not your fault that the song didn't come out the way you wanted it to. You did the best you could, and you should be commended for your efforts. But whoever asked you to sing should be shot. <laughs> In God's divine design, every individual is gifted by Him. We each possess a unique combination of interests, abilities, and competence that God has woven together to make us distinctive from all others in history. However, it's important that you, that you develop these gifts that God gave you. Don't try to be or to do something that you're not. If you can't sing, don't sing. And remember, life is full of options. You're going to have to choose wisely how you develop these gifts and what you do with them. Because you see, we constantly face this challenge of being who God created us to be. Now, just a couple of things I want to uh, share with you this morning. Uh, and the first one is simply this. We, we have the challenge of living up to our potential. So what are you going to do to live up to your potential? Uh, dozens, perhaps scores or even hundreds of books have been written on purpose and uh, why we're here in this world. But one of the most succinct and powerful descriptions of that is found in one single verse from the pen of the Apostle Paul to the Christians at Ephesus. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, we read this, sums it up nicely. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. John Ortberg writes, he says, we were designed by God we were made to live in God, but then we were made to work for God. Sort of sounds like this verse in different words. In one simple verse, 19 words in the original text, Paul reminds us that we are not the product of chance, but rather that we are the workmanship of God. In other words, this verse tells us who we are. The next time somebody says to you, you know, you're a real piece of work. You know that? You say, thank you, I know that, I am the workmanship of God. It gets even better. The Greek word here translated workmanship is the very word from which we get our English word, poem. Now, a poem is the literary creation of the author. By definition, a poem is a unique composition, usually concerned with emotion and imaginative description. In other words, you are the unique composition of God. There is emotion and imagination in His design for your life. You can say, I am God's poem, and that would be biblically accurate. And you could ask, God, how did you feel when you created me? And He might answer, oh, it was like writing beautiful, moving poetry when I created you. Because you see, you are a work of art. You are a work of divine art. 
Compare that to being nothing more than the descendant of a single-cell random mutation at an accidental beginning. Which one sounds better to you? If indeed you are the workmanship of God, His unique poem, then stop comparing yourself to others, for to do so is to devalue the life that God has given to you. Quit saying, oh, I wish I was more like Him, or I wish I had the talents that she has. You are who you are because God gave you that set of skills. And it is our responsibility to develop them. To do otherwise is to be spiritually counterproductive. Not only tells us who we are, it tells us how we were made. He says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. When I read that, created in Christ Jesus, I can't help but think of John chapter 1, verse 3. It says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And so when I think of being in, created in Christ Jesus, I think of the fact that we've been created in him, through him, and by him. But I don't think that's Paul's intent in this verse. It's very true, but it's not what Paul's driving at. In all of Paul's writings, <clears throat> which comprise a bulk of the New Testament, Paul only quotes the words of Jesus three times. But he uses the phrase, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus, 160 times. Now that's not to suggest that Paul is diminishing the words of Christ. It's just that he was overwhelmed by the idea that Christ dwells in us and that we dwell in him. Have you, have you really thought about that lately? That the God who placed the stars in their courses, who fashioned the Milky Way, and who set the speed of the earth's rotation perfectly so it would sustain life here, dwells in you and you in him. That's incredible. Tells us how we were made in Christ Jesus. And then this verse tells us why we were made. To do good works. The reason you have a unique combination of interests, abilities, and competence is so that you can use them to do good in this world. Now, apart from the divine nature of God, I'm not sure what motivation we'd ever have for doing good in this world. After all, if life is devoid of any kind of lasting purpose, if there is no God, if we're the product of random chance, then I'm going to side with the hedonist. We might as well just enjoy life and indulge our every pleasure and whim. You see, from an evolutionary perspective, one philosophical view is as good as another philosophical view. However, from a Christian perspective, I would argue that we have divine purpose, that we are to do good in the name of Jesus Christ, that others may, through such goodness, discover the wonderful grace of Jesus Christ and find salvation in him. And then Paul says, all this was decided beforehand. Do you notice that? It's not like God created Adam and Eve and stepped back to look at his creation and said, oh boy, they look good. But what am I going to do with them now that I've got them made? From the very beginning of time, as he created Adam and Eve, they were created to do good works. And that has been a part of God's design for us from the very beginning. God designed you to be you. Like it or not, you are a reflection of his creative genius. Introvert or extrovert, verbose or quiet, creative or practical, right-brained or left-brained, his fingerprint is upon your life. And here's the good news about that, that fact that you're unique, that you're like, unlike anybody else. When you get to heaven, he's not going to look at you and say, how come you didn't act a lot more like Noah or Paul? 
Or how come you didn't think like Lydia or Ruth? That's the good news. I don't have to be compared to anybody else in all of biblical history. But I do believe God's going to look at me and ask me, and I think he's going to ask you, why didn't you live up to your potential? Why didn't you act like you? And that's going to be a tough question to answer if we haven't done our best. On Renewing wrote, he said, spiritual greatness has nothing to do with being greater than others. It has everything to do with being as great as each of us can be. Don't you like that? Spiritual greatness isn't arriving at the top of the heap. It's just being the best that we can be as God created us. Here then is the rub. God has done everything he can do to give us purpose, meaning, and gifts to be all that we can be. But only you and I can make the choice to be all that we can be. And I believe there are a lot of things you can be. I believe you can use your gifts and talents and your mix of wiring to be, to be just about anything that really you want to be. But it may not always be the wisest of choices. Early in my high school years, I had narrowed down my career choices to one of two things. I either wanted to do something in medicine, um, maybe be a doctor, or I wanted to be an airline pilot. Now, could I have done either one of those? Uh, I think I could have. Could God have used me in either one of those fields? I believe he could have. But somewhere along the line, God changed my mind and my calling. I still find myself fascinated with uh, medical science and health-related issues. I still have a passion for aviation because that's the way I'm wired. I've always been interested in those kinds of things. But I made a choice based on what I believe God wanted me to do. And as a result, I've never stitched an open wound or I've never landed a Boeing 737. And that's okay because I believe I'm doing what God wants me to do. Because you see, you can't do everything and do it well. Now, there are others in this congregation who serve as doctors or they're in the field of medicine uh, in some form or fashion. There are those who are airline pilots and commercial pilots that, you know, that, that are living out some of those dreams that I had. And they're doing it because that's what God has led them to do. And they're serving God in their best. Whatever you happen to be doing in your life, if you feel this is what God has led you to be, don't, I don't care what it is. If you're living it with all your heart, then you're making a difference and you're serving because you will have opportunities I'll never have. You'll be people that I'll never meet. You'll have influence in the lives of others that I will never have influence in. Because you see, that's why God designed us all uniquely because all of us come together in the kingdom to live out his divine purpose. So figure out who you are and choose. We, uh, <clears throat> we actually have some gift assessment kinds of things uh, that, that go on here uh, in, in the life of the church that are important that will help you decide that. But don't let society define your potential. Because this is what I've learned through the years of our culture and society. And that is they, they set the bar here for potential. Well, if, if you don't accomplish this, you're not living up to your potential. Here's what you need to know. If you, if you decide you're going to be the CEO of some big company, why um, you may not be a good husband or wife because the demands of that kind of a career may keep you away from home too long. There may be other careers that you could choose that will cause you to be less of a parent than you could be because of the demands of the pressure or the time away from home. You say, well, if I don't do that, I'm not living up to my potential. And I would ask you, well, what potential are you talking about? You talking about the potential to earn money or are you talking about the potential to change lives, to build relationships, 
to raise children, whatever it is. Just know that if you choose one, you may not be able to do the other well. So choose wisely because I believe it's God's potential that makes the biggest difference. I've done hundreds of funerals by now in my ministry. And I will tell you something that I never hear when I meet with a family as they celebrate the life of their loved one. I've never heard anybody say this. I'm glad I never saw dad much because that enabled him to run the best company in town. Or, you know, mom had a large bank account when she died. I'm so proud of her. Always being focused on money is what made her a great mom. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a great president of a company. There's nothing wrong with having a good bank account. But it's just interesting. Those are never the comments that come up. What comes up when a family starts talking about it is, Dad had the kindest smile. I loved my mom's hugs. They always just made everything seem to go away. I remember the time that Dad and I went on that fishing trip up into Canada, and on and on it goes. It's all about character. It's all about their lives. It's all about their relationships. It's all about the memories that were created. You see, when we come to the end, it's that this stuff. It, it's, it's that kind of memory. It's that kind of reflection that really spells a person's potential in life. So choose wisely. God has built in us the potential to do good works. It's when you forget all about you and you lose yourself in deeds of service that you rise, I believe, to your highest level of potential. And I believe that's why Jesus said, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So make your choices carefully. You are God's poetry, remember? What do the verses of your life say? Well, it's not just about living up to your potential. It's also about living out your potential. <clears throat> Each of us is gifted differently, so you're going to have to figure out what the specific gifts are. And that's why I mentioned a second ago that we have this, we have gift assessment uh, abilities. As a matter of fact, Cindy Hosey is out in the foyer this morning. She's at one of the kiosks. If you're wondering how the program that we have on computer and online available to you to figure out what your gift mix is, stop by that kiosk and let her demonstrate for you what it is. It's, it's online. It's, it's a service that we provide because some people say, I don't know what my gifts are. And there's some simple ways to kind of help you figure out how you're wired. But I want to give you two things this morning uh, as we wind up the, 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 the morning together that every one of us in this room can do and should do. As a matter of fact, the first thing I'm going to tell you, I believe is our ultimate purpose in life. This is really living out our potential. Every one of us can do both these things. Here's the first one. Exalt God. Exalt God. Psalms 46 verse 10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 57 verse 5, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The word exalt means to lift up. It is to recognize God in his rightful place. That God is above all others and that God needs to be number one in my life and he needs to be number one in my devotion and commitment, and that I need to do my best for him. He is above me. He is exalted. Isaiah 55, 
says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. One of our chief responsibilities is to exalt God. That purpose alone would be sufficient to give our life meaning. So how are you doing on a daily basis of keeping God in the priority where he belongs? That God is the highest priority of your life. You see, we live in a world that just bombards us with information and gadgetry and technology, and I'm, I love all of that. But the problem with all of that is that it can distract me to the point that I will ignore God. Anybody else understand what I'm saying? that you can get so wrapped up in all the busyness of this life and the things that just come at us every day that you can forget that God is there. Brett Earls made this observation. He says, we've, left, we've let life get plastic coated. We've traded amazement for amusement, substitute thrills for happiness. We manufacture cheap experiences instead of seeking priceless moments that burn into our hearts the miracle of being alive. And while we drift into fantasy, we become blind to the fantastic. What I've learned, what I'm learning again, I should say, is that the, the grandeur of God that is around us every day is so much more incredible than all the things that we've created with our hands and our own minds. I'm relearning the power of observation through my granddaughter. She hears every sound and sees everything that moves. A bird flies overhead, Addie sees it. A cricket chirps, Addie hears it. We um, had a few green tomatoes left on the vine when the uh, growing season ended, and so we pulled those off and brought them into the house and put them in the sunshine and told her that the sunshine makes the green tomatoes red. And, Every time she would end up coming to the house, she would run to see where the green tomatoes were to see if they were turning red. And she would talk about turning red. You know, I didn't care about green tomatoes until all of a sudden I began to think, that is pretty fascinating. Here's this, here's this piece of fruit that's been disconnected from the vine and it sits in the windowsill and God's sunshine turns it from green to red. And, and all of a sudden I think, how powerful is this God that we serve and I'm seeing it again through the eyes of one who is much closer to God. Have you thought about the grandeur of our God? Do you know that the leaf of the South American water lily measures seven feet across? It is so strong that, a, that it will support the weight of a child on the water? And that that very leaf became the architectural inspiration for the famous Crystal Palace in London? Or how about the, the coconut, the double coconut tree? They, they grow on the hilltops of some South Pacific islands. It, it produces the largest seed in the world. It's the double coconut. It takes 10 years for the seed to mature, and it weighs 45 pounds. And, and when that seed drops off, you know, a bird or an animal can't, can't uh, carry those seeds, and if it falls into the water, it sinks, it doesn't float. Nobody seems to figure out how did those seeds get to the tops of the mountains where those, and the hills where those coconuts grow, those palms grow. A chameleon, a chameleon's tongue is as long as its body from the tip of its nose to the end of its tail, and it can deploy that tongue at a speed five times faster than a fighter jet at its target. That's God's creation around us. Just a handful of the things. Do, do you notice what God is doing so that you can 
exalt him. Maybe we have forgotten that the God of the universe is in us and we're in him every day. And he deserves to be exalted in our lives. Then the other thing we can do, all of us can exalt God and all of us can encourage others. Encouragement is not a talent. It is a mindset and a conviction. You can be an encourager if you want to be. It just simply demands that you become observant of those around you who need to be encouraged. And here's the, here's the really neat thing about encouragement. When you encourage somebody else, you feel better. Encouragement comes back to you. It's like that boomerang. You, you reach out and make somebody else feel better, you feel better yourself. And I think in so doing, it also exalts God. When I was getting ready to leave uh, back in August to go to uh, Russia to teach, I, I drove up to Indianapolis to catch the first part of my flight and parked out in the hinterlands of the economy lot and rode the shuttle bus in, you know, and uh, dropped me off uh, at, the, at the bottom, went upstairs, it was checking in my luggage, and when I reached for my identification in my pocket, that's when I realized that I had forgotten my cell phone. I had left it in my car in the parking lot charging, and I knew I was going to need that cell phone. That was going to be my lifeline between when I got to Russia, being able to contact home and check email and all that kind of stuff. So I got my luggage checked, and I raced back downstairs, caught the shuttle bus, the same shuttle bus driver that had dropped me off just a few minutes before and I got on rather sheepishly and I said um, I'm sorry I have left my cell phone in my car I gotta have that is it all right if I ride the bus back out and could you wait at the shelter just for 30 seconds while I run get it out of the car now I was braced for the tongue lashing but he turned and he smiled and said sure get on board I'll be happy to take you out there now I don't look like a big tipper when I'm riding a shuttle bus <laughs> So I know he wasn't, you know, doing that because he thought he was going to get some. But I'll tell you what, I have never enjoyed giving a tip to a bus driver as much as I did that day. Got on the bus, rode out to the rest of the parking lot. And all the way out there, you know, there's other people on the bus. But he's telling me, you know what? He said, the most forgotten thing in cars is, is, is a cell phone. He said, I take people out all the time. He said, that's all right. Don't worry about it. He said, I'll get you back there in plenty of time. So he lets me off at the, at the shelter. And, and really, I expected him to say, you're going to have to wait until you know, I circle the lot again. That's what you people deserve for forgetting your cell phones. And it is what we people deserve for forgetting our cell phones. But he didn't. He said, I'll wait right here. You just go get your cell phone. So I ran down to the car, got it out, ran back up, and he said, everything okay? Did you find it all right? And he just talked all the way back into the airport and was kind. I got off that shuttle bus, and I felt like a million dollars. I got on feeling like a dimwit. He could have confirmed my stupidity. But he didn't. He took the time to encourage me. Now, you can ask me who was the most significant person on my flight between Indianapolis and Moscow, Russia, and I would tell you, well, it's, well it wasn't the flight crew and it wasn't the baggage people as important as they were. The most significant person that day in my life was the shuttle bus driver at the Indy airport. And I thought, if a shuttle bus driver with a kind word and a kind smile can lift my spirits for something so dumb, imagine what we can do with the purpose of God behind us, to encourage somebody else's life when they need it the most. Are you an encourager? When I get to heaven, one of the first people I want to meet is, is a guy by the name of Barnabas. In, in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, it says, 
news of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem. This is, this is the church at, at Antioch that's developing. And they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. And he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Isn't that incredible? He goes in and he says, he says I want you to remain faithful and true to the Lord as long as you live. And he began to preach and teach and work. And there was such a spirit of encouragement that the church grew by leaps and bounds. And a few verses later, we understand that's where the name Christian was first applied, was at Antioch. I believe that became a strong church because of the influence of an encourager by the name of Barnabas. By the way, it's exactly what the name Barnabas means, son of encouragement. So when I get to heaven, I want to meet Barnabas. But until then, I have to think and live and act like Barnabas here being observant of those who need encouragement. God will put you into various situations daily where if you're watching, somebody will need you. This is your chance to do good works. And regardless of your gift mix, you can encourage. Let me wind up this morning with an example from God's creation again. Uh, you, you may very well be familiar with this kind of research, but I don't know if you've ever thought about it in spiritual terms or not. It's not uncommon for a gaggle of geese to uh, fly over our house on final approach to the harvest bean field just on the other side of the road. Uh, I never tire of hearing them. I never tire of seeing them. They are majestic in flight, and their grace of movement pays tribute to their Creator. I sense God's divine design when I see them, and when they take wing rising into the air, I believe the Lord is exalted in their flight. As geese flap their wings, they create uplift for the bird following. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds 71% greater flying range than if the birds were flying solo. We encourage one another when we share a common direction and a common sense of community. Our destination won't seem like an arduous journey in this world if we're traveling on the thrust of other Christians around us. Whenever a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of flying alone, and it quickly returns to the formation. We would do well not to go it alone, folks. That's why the church is so important. It's in the church that help is extended and help is received. We encourage one another. Don't fall out of formation. When the lead goose gets tired, it rotates back into the formation. Another goose flies at the point position. Developing God's gifts requires that we take turns doing the hard tasks and sharing the load. Encouragement happens when we become interdependent on one another. And the geese information honked from behind to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. Who do you know needs a word or honk of encouragement from you? And when a goose gets sick or shot, two geese drop out of the formation and follow it down to help and protect it. They remain together until the injured goose is either able to fly again or dies we too should stand by each other in both the good and the difficult times because that's exalting God and encouraging one another when we do so. That's developing the gifts that God has given you. That's living up to and living out your potential for Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning as your Savior? 
this one in whom you were created. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, created in Him to do good works. But only when He is in you can you live up to your potential and purpose in life. So, if you don't know Him as your Savior, while we stand and while we sing, you come to the Christ. 